Kara O'Keefe. And I'm Susie Rigdon. You're listening to the Fall for the Book podcast, part of the Watershed Lit Station. We're celebrating 23 years of the Fall for the Book Festival by sitting down with writers across the genre spectrum. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to visit fallforthebook.org to find out more about our virtual festival. All right. So today, Kara, we are talking to Ethel Rowan, who is the self-proclaimed queen of the uncomfortable stories. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how you try to kind of get outside of your comfort zone, maybe in your writing or maybe in your reading. I love that question. And I think it's something that I never actually want to do. But when I have a reason to try it, um, it's, it's always something that I, I'm glad that that I've done. Um, I think one of the things that always gets me out of my comfort zone um, in writing is uh, trying to respond to a prompt of some kind. I remember when I was a student, I hated any kind of like guided writing or writing prompts. It just like, I, I felt really stressed doing them, but I found more, more recently that they can be really kind of a, a fun way to try something totally different when you can like kind of sit back with it and take a little bit of time with it. I don't know. Do you, do you do writing prompts at all? You know, not right now, but one of the best classes that I ever took during my MFA at George Mason was a hybrid forms class. And it was the strangest thing that I ever done, you know, because a lot of times in the MFA program, you're mostly just kind of with other fiction writers, or if you're a poet, you're with other poets, but we had everybody in this class and everybody would like present this type of media, whether it was like a video or a song or something, and they would give you a writing prompt and you'd have to do one for the next time. And what ended up coming out of that class was this awesome hybrid piece that had like a list. It had like flash memories. It had a poem. It had all these kinds of weird things, but it helped me get at a very difficult topic that I had never been successful on writing before. Well, that's great. I love it when, uh, when you end up with something totally unexpected, right? The other thing I think about when you talk about like getting out of your comfort zone is I have participated a couple of times in a writing challenge that's run by this really great flash writer named Monet Thomas, who challenges you to, to, to write a flash piece in, in one month, you have one month to, to work with the prompt that she gives you. Um, and it's always a prompt that asks you to include some kind of sex scene in your writing. And that's something I never had tried before. I definitely never wanted to try before, but I really liked her writing. And I, and I knew a lot of people who were doing this, this challenge. And so I've, I've tried it a couple of times and every time I've come up with a story that I never would have written if I hadn't at least, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to sit down and at least give this a try. And, you know, I think what's great about that is it doesn't have to ever see the light of day. Right. It could just be your story, just trying these things out. I mean, I guess like with that example, you could always win. What is it? The, the Razzies or something like that. The, the bad sex writing award, oh, you could always award, win yes. that. I always think that's funny. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think having kind of these constraints of whether it's writing a certain type of thing, or I know there's a ton of these flash workshops or competitions where you have to put a very specific word or theme or something and and adding those constraints are going to make you do something that you wouldn't have otherwise done. Like, am I going to write a story with an alien and a cantaloupe? Like probably not. Um, But who knows? It could be the next great um, American short story or not. (laughs) I'm I'm already starting to think about that now. Okay. So, (laughs) well, I'm really excited to talk a little bit more with Ethel Rowan today because as you said, she's, she's called herself the queen of uncomfortable stories. And I, I really, really enjoyed the stories in her new collection. 
Ethel Rowan is the author of In the Event of Contact, winner of the Zank Short Story Collection Prize, and the novel The Weight of Him. Raised in Dublin, Ireland, she now lives in San Francisco. Welcome, Ethel, and thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you both so much. So I wanted to start off by asking you um, about uh, about where you live now, because you did uh, you did come over here from from Ireland, and I know you've written about characters who have been from Ireland and, and then living in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how it changed your writing life and your writing process? Yeah, I was born and raised uh, in Dublin, Ireland, and I emigrated to San Francisco almost 30 years ago now. So I've lived more of my life um, here in San Francisco than I did in Ireland. And this, you know, very much feels like home now. But I would stay, say that I remain very connected to Ireland. My husband is also Irish. We both have large families, and in both our large families, we are the only immigrants. So we return home often. Um, we have two daughters, and for them, you know, that that's their family, and so we return often, uh, you know, to reconnect, stay connected. And how that has affected my writing, I would say enormously, uh, because place is a big part of my writing. Um, the backdrops you know, in form and color, the stories. And um, I'm just very aware of place, I suppose, in my life and, and in my writing. And I, I've heard some authors who say they don't feel place influences, you know, the, the settings, etc. And I'm just very surprised by that because I'm sort of, how can they not? Um, our surroundings color us all the time and make various impressions and imprints on us. And... I suppose a question I'm often asked or what's perhaps surprising for readers when they learn how long I've been in the States is that my work often does keep returning to Ireland. And I think that's because my beginnings, you know, were, I had so many pivotal things happen uh, in my youth as, as a child and a teen and, and a young adult. And they've stayed with me and, and really sort of seized my imagination and, you know, so far they continue to fuel my stories. I, I almost feel like, oh, it's, it's you know, that, that well is going to run dry at some point. It doesn't. Um, and that's not that I write exclusively about Ireland, but um, that place, that country, you know, the people and uh, my imagination are just deeply rooted there. And as you, as you mentioned, you're writing in Ireland, in London, and in, in San Francisco, all over. Um, but you're also writing all over kind of on the genre spectrum as well. You've got your short story collections, your novel, The Weight of Him, you've got your chapbook memoir. So how did it feel coming back to short stories after writing The Weight of Him, a novel? What's changed? Do you approach them writing stories differently? Or is it like coming home? It's a little like coming home in that I've had a long love of the short story form, um, you know, particularly as a reader. I'm just very, very fond of it. I, I am amazed, you know, that obviously it's, it's, it's a shorter, much, much shorter form than the novel. And, and it has inherent constrictions because of that. But I'm amazed at how much the short story can offer up, um, both for me as a writer and, and for readers. And um, I find it a very challenging form. Uh, <laughs> and... I find it a, you know, a, a more difficult beast than the novel, actually. I know I've only published one novel, but I have written at this point, you know, at least four 
what I would call, you know, complete solid novel manuscripts. Um, so I've, I've done that marathon, you know, more than once. Um, and there's something about that, that I just drop into it easier. And um, I enjoy, you know, the length of time I get to, you know, spend in, in the world of the novel and really immersing myself in the characters. I don't know, it just somehow feels more organic. And, you know, my instincts are more honed, I think, toward the novel. And yet I return to the short story because I love it. And also, I don't know, a bit of masochism, maybe, uh, you know, in that I, I'm constantly challenging myself, I'm constantly trying to do better. And, you know, to kind of feel like, when I read, you know, writers I admire, like, you know, Elizabeth Stratt's short story collection, shall we say, uh, Alice Munro, so, so, so many, you know, I look at that and I think, will I ever get there? You know, will I ever arrive at that point where I feel like I've offered up something that good to the world? And so it's that sense of wanting to do better that I keep returning to it. And, and of course, when I read stories, short stories that I love, you know, I'm itching, itching to get back to the page and, and try to do the same. I think that's so interesting to think about, even though you've written, you've written multiple short story collections, you feeling more at home with novels. And one of the things I was thinking about in some of the stories in, in the event of contact is some of those stories do feel like they could contain the entire world of a novel. I'm thinking about how within just a few pages of some of these short stories, you've created so many layers of connection and disconnection between characters that complicate their relationships with themselves and with others. Um, one I was thinking about was the, the title story where we start off with this relationship between the triplets and then it gets complicated by the parents and then by one of the teachers. Um, and, and I thought that was just so well done. And so I'm, I'm curious about your approach to writing these layered stories like this. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think, again, that's more probably about rewriting and revision um, and how much, you know, we write and we generate and we know the world, we know the characters, and then it's it's sort of the art of selection, uh, you know, deciding what is completely in service of the story and needs to be on the page and what was you know, just part of my own journey of discovering um, the world and the characters and, and the premise and yeah, I, 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 I've had that feedback actually quite a lot as in, um, do you think you will return to any of these characters or these stories in the novel form? You know, do, do you feel like you're done with, with those particular um, worlds? And I do, interesting enough. And, uh, you know, my previous story collections were flash fiction, which again, you know, I, I talked earlier about confines. That's a really compact space to work within. And that was a lot of writing that doesn't end up on the printed page, um, but is necessary to tell, you know, the best version of the story that I can. So I'm used to generating a lot of work that I know will not be part of the final published um, story. And I somehow feel satisfied. You know, I, 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 in this collection in particular, I will say, uh, you know, with all humility that I, I loved these stories. I loved being in these worlds um, and, and seeing what they offered up to me and what I could offer in return. But having said that, I do feel a sort of finality to the collection and to each of these stories. I don't see myself returning. And that's not to say the characters have not, you know, that I haven't thought about them since 
finishing the manuscript and indeed the book being published, I do still think about them. They feel still very much alive to me, but I'm content. And maybe that's because I'm working on other projects and they've sort of, you know, I'm immersed in that now. I sort of moved on, if you will. But but to date, I feel quite strongly that the works are complete as is. I would love to see some of these turn into novels, but I I will, you know, hold on to that and I won't, I won't wish too long. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I could all change, but so far. I don't, you know, it's quite possible all these readers are way smarter than me. So <laughs> Well, you know, Kara was asking a little bit about the layering in the stories. And part of that layering is, of course, these characters' pasts. And the past is very much a part of, of, of so many of um, your stories. So can you talk a little bit about how you approach writing memories that can reshape and even haunt your characters' current day lives? Yeah, and I think part of that is, you know, lived experience. I think that's something that resonates, you know, even in thinking about historical works, the historical novel, um, you know, the present is always part of the past, you know, and and vice versa. So in world building, I think my main question is usually, you know, the why of the character, why are they the way they are? Why are they responding in these scenes the way that they do? Um, You know, what's going on beneath the surface, that type of thing. And for me to know that, I will sometimes put my characters in scenes, you know, from their childhood. I I find childhood, again, personally, and in my writing to be just such rich sources of figuring out, you know, what shaped and indeed misshaped uh, the characters. And so uh, different things, if I'm stuck, which thankfully I don't get stuck a lot, um, but my approach is to, you know, interview my character, uh, you know, literally sit down and, and kind of open up a blank page and I'm interviewing them um, and seeing what they give to me in their responses. And I find that very effective. Um, and I will also put them in scenes, you know, outside of the time frame of the story. It's usually in the past, but sometimes it's in the future. You know, it's what happens after the story ends on the page as readers will see it. Um, and again, that's that gives me lots of rich information and, and kind of feeds my my creativity. So that's the approach, I think, to layering that, you know, I think all authors, it's true for them. I know so much more than what's on the page. And I hope that it adds, you know, to the nuance and the tone and the overall atmosphere of the story. What's the most outlandish interview question that you ask your characters? Do you have like a set question that you always ask them? No, I don't. I think it's more like I said, when I get stuck and it's usually, um, you know, it sounds a little dark. I I prefer to think of it as like rich. It's sort of, you know, what are your wounds? You know, because when I think of why we are the way we are, it's sort of like, what are your wounds? What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And, you know, no more than, than having a conversation in real life, you know, sometimes I have to come at that sideways, you know, I can't kind of ask it that directly. So um, I think I actually started that process when um, I think it was either George Sanders or, or Charles Baxter who said they did that. And, and the example they used was they interviewed their protagonist after a scene in a coffee shop where the protagonist was was basically an asshole, the barista. And it's sort of like, why? You know, why were you a jerk? Uh, why did you say that? Um, and so it can be something like that. But what you're really asking them is like, what's underneath the anger? And, you know, underneath anger is often fear and pain. 
so accessing in, in that way and and the most outlandish I think probably you know areas uh, I just mentioned of fear you know so so um Kari you had mentioned that the title story you know looking at the phobia that was a really um that was that was sort of the the spark that started that um and and figuring out you know why why are you um terrified of touch essentially um and some of that I, I brought my own personal experience to it um you know I'm always sort of plucking at the the strange moments um that either come to my imagination or through my experiences but you know growing up both my parents had um interesting phobias that of course we never spoke about or you know again going back to Irish reticence and the time when you know we were just so silent and and people didn't really examine you know themselves or others at that sort of levels of you know you know why dad when you drive do you always crack the window open you know it could be raining it could be freezing cold but you know your driver's window is always open and you know, things like that. And of course, it turns out that he like hidden or just never addressed uh, claustrophobia. And he did other odd things like cutting the hems of his stockings, you know, his socks so that he couldn't feel that cinch around his leg. Um, he would cut the arms off his shirts. You know, it was just this this um, irritation, you know, this this. Uh, anguish almost around being confined and of course I can extrapolate um you know and relate it to bigger areas and bigger wounds in his life um that he felt you know very much pressed on and similarly with my mother you know she had this odd reaction to to jewelry you know she, and, and could never bear like a turtleneck or anything like that around her throat she would get rashes and, and sort of hyperventilate and all of that so those are moments that have stuck with me and stayed with me and anything in that realm just really captures my imagination. Um, and so I knew I was onto something when I had this, this, this main character who um, is terrified of touch and exploring all of that. So in thinking about that, that's probably one of the more outlandish episodes that I had in, um, in really getting to the heart of my characters and the story. I love the idea of asking characters things that that, that maybe you're not really comfortable, you think they might not be comfortable talking about, you know, you're talking about like the idea of silence around um, things that people just don't talk about in families. And you, you had talked recently in Lit Hub about writing uncomfortable stories. And I, I really liked thinking about that in reading some of these stories where so often we have like a conflict that maybe doesn't get fully resolved by the end. Something gets transformed and, 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 and the character goes through some sort of change or recognition, but the conflict might still be unresolved. And I'm, I'm curious about uh, why you like writing these so-called uncomfortable stories. Yeah, do I like writing them? I, I'm not, I think they're the type of stories that seize me, you know? Um, and of course I may be, uh, you know, subconsciously seizing them, but, it, but I feel in... In an odd way, I don't have a lot of control over what captures my imagination. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the sparks that 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 sort of drive me to the page, and how all of us in our lives have so much coming at us constantly, and what you know sticks, and and what stands out from all of that um, barrage of of information and experience and emotion. I can't always predict, but I, I definitely see patterns and I think I'm pretty consistent in, in the various themes and threads of my stories. 
So yeah, I, the, this idea of, of uncomfortable, I, I'm telling stories that, um, you know, have personal meaning for me, you know, I, I think our, our drives to write and, and to create art are, are, are often um, uniform or universal, should I say, in that I think they do come from, you know, our passions and, and what we love, um, what we hate, what, what angers us, um, you know, the change we would like to see. And so this idea of writing uncomfortable stories, um, you know, I think we all need to be a lot more uncomfortable than we are in that we have um, become, you know, quite numb to to so many societal issues that, um, you know, are devastating and, and maddening. And, you know, a common thread and theme in my work is abuse in various forms. Um, and, you know, kind of the experiences that are specific to women. Um, and, and it's a call, but I don't think of it that way, but it is a call, you know, for, for change and for equality. Um, and to give each of us, you know, regardless of gender or any kind of orientation, you know, our, our dignity and our humanity. Um, and so I think that I'm like that as a person. And that, of course, then is going to be inherent in the work. And that's what shows up. And, you know, I, I, in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of bothered, if you will, by this idea that the stories are comfortable, uncomfortable in that the idea that you know, framing a story or, or putting front and center, center the idea, you know, that women are oppressed and, and persecuted and still to this day are given prescribed roles. Um, the idea that that sort of centering that is somehow more upsetting than the actual issues themselves. I'm like, really? You know, we can do better than that. And I just feel sort of personally called and challenged to try to you know, maybe stoke a little at the complacency of our society um, and the complicity and to sort of shake things up a little bit and say, well, maybe if you see it this way, or maybe if you think of it this way, or maybe if I humanize it with really specific detail on a specific story about one particular character, you might be able to see it differently or see it in a way that, that chips away at that numbness. I think that's a, a lesson that Kara and I definitely talk with our students about, you know, how are you going to tell big stories or tackle important issues? And it often is through those very specific details or that one character. It's hard to write a big picture story, but you can write a character who's dealing with something that that feels so big and important. Absolutely. And, and I remember a few years back reading a, an article on a study uh, conducted, I think, by Harvard, and they were saying, uh, you know, when it came to sort of, um, you know, fundraising or, or raising awareness for different global issues, you know, be it famine, uh, genocide, etc., that that when they presented people with the big issue, the big topic, um, that they felt so um, helpless and felt like, well, I'm just one person, what can I do? Whereas when they went to a specific person and said this is their story these are their challenges this is you know how we could help this one person the reaction was enormous and everybody felt like oh my gosh yes I want to help this person what can I do and so I think of it in in that way and um you know I find that hopeful and encouraging in a world that 
unfortunately can be all too, um, you know, dark and, and hopeless. Absolutely. So to wrap up, we wanted to ask you a question. You said in a, in a previous interview that the best writing advice you've ever gotten was from Victor Laval at Mills College, be interesting. And so we wanted to know, what have you read or written that feels the most interesting to you recently? Ooh, um, what have I read or written? Oh my God, it's so funny. I don't know why every time it's, what did you read that my mind goes completely blank. I've read so much good stuff recently. Um, at the moment, I'm reading a novel um, by Sarah Flannery Murphy called Girl One. It's sort of a, a sci-fi novel, and enormous imagination. I, I'm not normally a, a reader in the sci-fi genre, but um, I've gotten to know Sarah and, and wanting to be supportive. I started reading the book and, oh my gosh, I'm just completely pulled in, um, you know, this idea of, of uh, you know, genetics and um, parthenogenesis and um, you know the protagonist is is the first girl who was who was birthed you know through her mother there's no male DNA or involvement whatsoever and uh, I'm just finding it fascinating and again that's a really good example of these sort of major issues of patriarchy and misogyny and all the rest of it um, and being very specific and again zeroing in on a particular character so yeah, I, 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 I'm a wide reader. I like to try out different genres. I do find myself coming back again to, to what I write and that is the more sort of traditional um, narrative. But surprise, I mean, surprise can be um, just, I, I'm, I'm amazed by the ordinary, you know, there's, and how, what can be gleaned from that? Um, you know, there's sort of the, the joke about Irish writing. It's a lot about tea and, uh, you know, doors and looking um, and landscape, that type of thing. But those moments can be so, so rich, you know, looked at through the right lens and, you know, looked at through a character that's in a particular emotion, emotional state um, and what can be pulled from the ordinary moments. Because at the end of the day, overwhelmingly our lives are a series of ordinary moments and there's just a lot of richness there and so I suppose the be interesting for me is and and that's a mistake I made early in my writing career you know I took the be interesting to be you know the work had to be almost melodramatic and, and full of conflict and um, big moments and I realized uh, no there's so much more to be gleaned and and mirrored and shown in the smaller moments but it is to make them interesting. So sometimes, you know, in early drafts, I'm writing and I'm less concerned with, with the details um, and uh, with the interesting, it's more getting the story down. But then in future drafts, it's looking at moments and, and kind of that idea of pushing. And, and you mentioned layering at the very beginning. It is that idea of, you know, my first impulse you know, what's the layer beneath that? You know, how can I push that more? So, you know, something that might be um, having a cup of tea could be, well, you know, what if the milk is sour and the milk is sour because the character hasn't left her home in a week because she's depressed or she's scared to go out or, you know, so it's, it's, it's just mining the ordinary moments. And I think that's what short stories can do so well and, and what, and, and what happens so often in the stories in this book. So Thank you so much for, for chatting with us about it today. We really appreciated it. Thank you both so, so much. I'm delighted to be here. The Fall for the Book podcast is produced by Susie Rigdon as a part of Watershed Lit. 
For more episodes, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Fall for the Book is a nonprofit literary arts organization, and you can find more information about our programs and events at fallforthebook.org. Read on. <laughs>